Morning. How we doing? Ready to get in the Word? All right, I like that. It's better than I expected. Let's try it again, though. We ready to get in the Word? All right, let's do it. Okay, that was a little, maybe a little much, but that's, we're fine. We're fine. Psalm 124. We're moving through the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, as you remember, pilgrims going to Jerusalem uh, would sing these, we think, probably, on their way as they ascended to God. And over the summer, we're moving through them. We won't hit every one of the 15, 120 through 134, um, but we're going to hit most of them. I want to remind you, uh, I challenged you guys, some of you may not have been here that first week, but to choose one of the Psalms of Ascent and memorize it. So whatever one speaks to you, kind of skim over them. Uh, if you haven't done that this week and, and start memorizing, most of them are pretty short, uh, but I think that always bears fruit in our lives when we know God's Word deep in our heart, and it just comes out when we need it, and the Holy Spirit brings it out into our mind when we need it. Um, also, just want to mention uh, and say thank you to Sean for preaching the last couple of weeks. He did a great job, didn't he? Can we thank him for that? Thank you, brother. So we always like to do that with our pastoral interns to give them that feel of two weeks in a row. So it's not just one that you kind of have one shot, but you get to, okay, come back and do it again and get in that rhythm of pre preparation, which if you are at least a lead pastor, that is kind of the norm, uh, that you're just back into it the next week. And so that's why we do that, is we want to give him that opportunity, give our intern that opportunity before they finish the program uh, to experience that. Let's read the text together. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we come before you confessing and acknowledging that you are good and faithful. You have always kept your promises. You have always been good to us. You have always been on our side for those who are in Christ. Who can be against us if you are for us? And yet, Lord, despite that truth, we worry, we fear, we're anxious, we doubt your love, and we argue your wisdom. Lord, we have sinned against you, the great sin of unbelief, even this week, many times, even unconsciously, where we have not believed that you will be faithful to your promises, that you are good and faithful, that you love us unconditionally and forever. And we ask your forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, we ask your forgiveness for the sin of unbelief, for our pride in thinking that we need to do it ourselves. We need to rescue ourselves. 
We need to fix our life. Please forgive us, Lord. It is an affront to your glory and your majesty, and we are so thankful for the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We are so thankful, Lord Jesus, that your blood pleads every moment of every day, no condemnation. No condemnation. Thank you that you trusted your Father's provision and help always. And now by faith we receive your shining righteousness that is in our account. You look at us as though we obeyed like you did. It's just a miracle. And we say thank you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would apply the work of Christ more and more to our lives. We ask that you would fix our gaze on him. We ask that you would show us Jesus again and again and again. All that he is for us all the time. For we forget. We don't remember. We think we're on our own. And that's a lie. If we know you, if we know you, you are ever and always on our side. So Holy Spirit, we need you to help us. We need you to help us to be helpful. We need, we need you to help us to remember that you are our help. Lord Jesus, I also uh, lift up to you our, the fathers here today. And I start by just thanking you, Lord, for them. Um, it's not an easy job. It's not an easy calling. And I thank you for the many men that I know are seeking to be faithful to the call that you've given them, to lead their wives, to lead their families. Thank you, the, thank you for the men here who have passed the test. They have not been perfect, but they have been faithful. And Lord, I give you glory for that because we need men. We need godly men. The church, the world needs godly men to show them, to show us what you are like. Even if it's a faint image, even if it's through a mirror dimly that we see that reflection, Lord, it is true and it is real. That for those of us who are fathers, we can imitate our Heavenly Father, being strong and kind, tough and tender, like Jesus. So we ask for your help in that calling and that endeavor, Lord, that we'd remember we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to always get it right. Because then we have the opportunity to point our kids to the Savior, and it's not us. It's Jesus Christ. That's who they need more than they need us. It gives us a chance to say, I have failed you, but your Heavenly Father will never fail you. Help us to do that, Lord. I know we feel a sense of we don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to mess up. We want to get it right. That's good to a point. But help us to embrace the plan of redemption. It's not about getting it all right. Because that will never happen. It's about redemption. That's what your plan is. That's what your mission is for us in the lives of our kids is redemption. Help us to remember that and to embrace that. Uh, to own our failures and struggles and to run to Jesus and to show our kids that's where they need to run to. 
We thank you for this psalm. We ask, Lord, that you bless the preaching of your word. Help me now as I endeavor to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a beautifully honest Thanksgiving psalm today as we continue to move with uh, the psalmist up to God, ascending to God, singing his faithfulness in the real difficulties of life. I just love the psalms. They're so honest. They're so real. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about what your life would be like without God? Who would you be? Where would you be? This is what the psalmist is thinking about. He says, if it had not been for the Lord, so it's an if. If not for God. And I think when we stop and think about that, it's not good. It's not pretty. What would life be like without God? He sees a life of destruction. It's not good. What comes to mind for you? Where would you be without, who would you be without Jesus? I'm guessing it's not pretty. Just, just imagine all your particular sin struggles, but with no grace to check them. All the things that you struggle with most, and the only thing holding you back from indulging those fully is just consequences. It's just real-life consequences, like, I'm not going to steal because if I get caught, I'm in trouble, I don't want to do that. But otherwise... You are those things. That's what you want to do. That's who you are. No prayer life. um, No fellowship. No Sunday morning to refresh you. No Bible to anchor you. No community to love you. You have none of that without God. It's definitely not pretty for me. Uh, God powerfully saved me when I was something like nine years old. I don't remember exactly. But even for those of us who were saved at an early age, and we're thankful for that, we're very thankful because God spared us a lot of our sin, He gives us glimpses, and He's given me glimpses of who I would be apart from Him. And it's nasty. It's just nasty. Proud, arrogant, controlling, impure, uh, uh, I mean, just the list of vices that I see pop out here and there. And by God's grace, okay, they're checked and they're changing, and I'm thankful for that. But without God, I don't want to see myself. I don't want to know myself. What terrible things would you have done without God in your life? Some of you would be dead. Truth. You know that. Some of you who are smiling, you know you'd be in a ditch somewhere. Some of you would be in jail. Some of you would be alcoholics. Some of you would be uh, uh, dealing with far greater fallout from your sexual sin than you already are. Some of you would be raising a child out of wedlock. Some of you would be abusers, slaves to greed. Some of you would be really nice on the outside with nothing but dead man's bones inside. That's where you'd be without God, without Jesus Christ. And think about this. Where would you be without God in all the trials of your life? We say that. Where would I be without God in the trials of my life? If I didn't have God to hang on to, 
what would it be like? This is where the psalmist's head is at. Remember when this happened? I, if I didn't have God, I don't even want to think about that. It would not have been good. Eugene Peterson says this of Psalm 124. The psalmist is not a person talking about the good life, how God has kept him out of all difficulty. This person has gone through the worst. The dragon's mouth, the flood's torrent, and finds himself intact. He was not abandoned but helped. The final strength is not in the dragon or in the flood, but in God who didn't go off and leave us. That's exactly right. You are not your help. You are not your help. God is. If you're a Christian or on your way to becoming a Christian, I hope, every single moment of your life is held in the loving care, the gentleness of God's hands. Every moment he's holding It was never you. It will never be you. It will always be God. That's what the psalmist is saying. That's all I have is God. There's no hope in you, but if God is on your side, you are exhaustively, eternally okay. Does that feel good? Just just to hear that? That I don't have to save myself. I don't have to rescue myself. I, like, God is on my side in Christ Jesus. That is such good news. That's what we want to talk about today. That's what the psalmist is talking about. So two big categories I want to get into. One, God rescues. And two, we respond. God rescues and we respond. There'll be some points within there. I got a little puritanical in the, the organization today, but just be patient with me. A lot of ones and twos and threes. So God rescues. From what? From what does he rescue? Number one, from when you feel intimidated. Verse one. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, let's say it together. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, and then drop down to verse six. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Here's what the poetry in the Psalms does with imagery. It takes an image from ordinary life, so we can all picture, you know, I don't know, a fox, something with a, a rabbit in its mouth. We can picture that, and it brings it into spiritual life. It takes an image from ordinary life that we all understand, and then it says, okay, here's a spiritual way to understand that. I'm giving you an image to help you understand a spiritual truth. God rescues. God kept you from being prey. He could have just said, people were mad at us and it was hard and God helped us. But that's boring. God has more of an imagination than that. Just straightforward, yeah, this is what happened and then this happened. and then. He gives us images to help us understand, to access the truth. So he gives the predator, a lion, wolf, shark, something scary, whatever that is for you, something intimidating. You are clearly overmatched, overwhelmed, and God shows up. 
God shows up to help you. I love how the Hobbit films capture the dragon, Smog. You remember that? I hope you've seen the movies. hope you've read the book. But um, if you haven't, so the, the dragon is sleeping in a, under the mountain in, in, in a, uh, this cavern of gold. And Bilbo comes in, wakes him up. And I love he just stands over him. I mean, it's like this tiny little hobbit and this huge dragon. And he's just toying with him. Like he's completely overmatched. And he starts bragging. My armor is like ten shields. My teeth are swords. My claws are spears. My tail is a thunderbolt. My wings are a hurricane. My breath is death. That's good writing. And he's just toying with him. It's intimidating. I don't have much of a chance here. What is that for you? What feels intimidating in your life? Like it's hunting you, and you really don't even want to think about it because it's kind of a little scary. Yeah, without God, that makes sense. It is scary, but you're not without God. Frodo has a ring, makes him invisible. You have something better. You have God on your side. That when you feel completely overwhelmed, when you feel fear, guilt, anxiety, remember the Lord. Remember him. I promise he will show up. Just what you need, just in time. And you know, have you found this, that usually it's when you get to the end of yourself and you're desperate, you're humble, you've tried everything yourself, and it hasn't worked. God, okay, I yield, I need you, boom, he shows up. He, was, he could have done it all along. He could have helped you at any point. He, he's capable, but he wants to draw out of you faith. He wants to change your heart, so he lets you sit in it. He lets you wait in it. He lets you deal with the dragon for a while until you're ready to say, okay, I mean, I kind of prayed about it, but no, no, now I really, like, I'm on my knees, please. And he shows up. Number two, when you feel thrown off. He rescues you when you feel thrown off. Verse five. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Psalmist is drawing on the imagery of flash flooding, which would have been common in the ancient Near East. Uh, I think that's probably where he's getting the image. Any of you been around a flash flood? It's scary. Because you feel like everything's fine. There's nothing happening. And then it's like, boom, it's there. A lot of water coming fast. That's how the psalmist feels. It's like, I had things under control. My life was normal. My life was just, and then all of a sudden, something happens that I didn't prepare for. I didn't plan for. I don't know what to do. And some of you have been there. Some of you are there. But some of you have been there when a friend you never thought would betray you betrays you. Someone you never thought would do this sin, it just blindsides you. You get a phone call that, okay, well, life has changed forever. And you're thrown off. And I would say all the way down to the ordinary things of life that just throw you off. 
you didn't plan, you didn't prepare, and it's like you feel that sense of like, I'm on my heels, okay? I'm on my heels. I don't know what to do exactly. God shows up, and you survive. You struggle, you swim, you flail around, you don't know what you're doing, but you come through with your faith intact. The reason that happens, the reason we look back at things, and I know many of you have said it, say like, I don't know how we got through that. I don't know how we got through that. The answer is always God. That is why you got through it. That is why we say those kinds of things. I, I didn't know right from left, up from down. I didn't know what to do. And I honestly, I don't know how I'm standing here based on what I went through. That flood, the answer is God. In unexpected and surprising ways, things you don't even know, he helped you. He was there. Number three, when you feel trapped. He rescues you when you feel trapped. Verse 7. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Takes another image from ordinary life and brings it into spiritual life. A helpless bird caught by you mean hunters. How could you do that? It's just a bird. It's probably a cardinal. Sweet cardinal. Caught it in your trap. In other words, there are moments and seasons in life where you feel trapped. You feel trapped. You can't see a way out. I was talking to a friend who, uh, in her adult life, had been sexually assaulted, and she was sharing with me how trapped she felt during that season of her life. The fear was paralyzing. Um, Her mind was consumed with this attacker who had done this terrible thing to her. And she didn't see a way out. Like She did not see, how is my life going to be anywhere close to normal again? How am I going to be joyful ever again? But she kept praying. She kept going to the Psalms. Um, she clung to Jesus. And over time, even though she felt trapped, the Lord started to release her from the cage that she was in. And it was so interesting She's driving down the the highway or whatever with her husband, and they see a gun range. Is that what you call it? Like where you go and just buy a gun and shoot it? Is that a gun range? No, it's not. Okay. Obviously, I've done this many times. Whatever that is, okay, I was watching The Simpsons, and it was blood, bath, and beyond. It's like, it's a good one. Whatever that is, she's like, honey, pull over. We need to go in there. She goes in, she buys a gun, and she just starts target practice. And it became like this incredible therapy for her, this release of her anger and, and helpful to just deal with it. And I think that's the way God shows up in our lives, ways that we don't expect. If you knew this person, you'd be like, guns, ammo, uh, gun range. No, that doesn't make any sense. You're like meek, mild, modest person. But this is what God does in very tangible ways. It wasn't like someone came over and, you know, laid hands on her and prayed and that was it. Like, do that, that's good. It was very tangible, his help, that I can fire a weapon and I feel empowered and I don't feel so trapped by, what, by the evil that was done to me. It's awesome. And that's how God works. When we pray and we wait, he shows up. And when you feel trapped, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this ever. He 
does stuff. That's the best way I can say it. Where do you feel trapped? Take the image, apply it to your life. That's what the Psalms are for. We're not like doing hermeneutical jujitsu here. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take the Psalms and put them into your life. The enemy, the trap, the flood, the, the, the predator, it can be anything. It's universal language that we're meant to apply. We're like, well, I've never been in a flood or I've never, been, I've never had this happen to me specifically. Like, that's not the point. The Psalms are not for that. They're for you. They're for you to use in your real life. That's why God gave them. So is it the world? You've, a way of thinking in your life, you feel trapped. Like, it's just hard to get out of this way of thinking. It's so ungodly. It's, I know it's worldly. Is it the devil trapping you with accusation, condemnation? You're never going to get back. You're never going to be able to do that. You're never going to be able to follow God like you know you should. Is it your flesh? I'll never break this cycle of sin. I, I, can't, I can't see it. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I can't get out. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the answer. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The devil wants to rob you of your faith. That you can change. That you can break out of the cycle. You can come out of the trap. You're not on your own. I just can't say that enough. You're not on your own. You're never the one who has to rescue yourself. And sometimes we think, i got to analyze my way out of this. I have to think my way out of this. How's that going? Sometimes we think, i got to charm my way out of this. i got to be so, like, be so nice to this person and so charming and relationally fluent. and That'll get me out. Sometimes we think I have to buy my way out of it because money talks. It's power. So if I just, you know, do this, do that, little sprinkle a little here, there, I'll get out of it. Sometimes we just think I've got to muscle my way through. You know, good, good hearty folk, I've got to muscle my way through. I can't admit that I need help. I mean, come on. To God or anybody else, that would be embarrassing. I've got to muscle through. You'll just be frustrated. You'll just be frustrated, spinning your wheels until you yield to the only one who can help you. Your help in the end does not come from your intellect, your relational charm, your money, your muscle. It doesn't. It always and only comes from the Lord, even when you can't see it. That's good news because you know what? He's reliable, far more reliable than you are. He's like a Honda. He never breaks down. Okay? It's true. How do we know he's on our side? The gospel. He's made a commitment. He's made a covenant with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I'm sealing that in blood. So you know I mean business. Not just anybody's blood, but the blood of my son. Okay, that should convince us he's on our side. Always. And I think some of you, maybe a lot of you, 
you, you have trouble believing that he actually wants to help you. I think your mind maybe goes something like this. Well, you know, I know technically he's obligated to help me, uh, but I'm kind of a hot mess. Like, I'm really needy, and I don't like needy people. I'm really needy, and he can't be enjoying this, can he? He can't be enjoying bailing me out all the time. Oh, here he comes again. Here she comes again. Another, another problem, another need. He made a covenant, so I guess technically he has to, but he probably doesn't like it. That sounds more like the way that we relate to our kids than the way that God relates to his kids. Where we're like, can there not be a crisis for 15 minutes? Please, Lord God, let there not be another crisis. I cannot handle it. Daddy, can you help me with the... Yes, sweetie, I would love to, but this is the last thing. Okay, you know when the tone says everything, it's like you're saying the right things, but in a terrible heart. It's like, yes, I'd love to, again. God is not like that. If you come to him with your problems again and again and again, here's what he does. He puts his arm around you, he smiles, and he says, it would be my joy to help you. That's the heart of Christ. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. He loves to help you. It's his joy to help you. He never is burdened. He's never overwhelmed. He's never annoyed. Like I'm annoyed at my kids at 9 o'clock when the 750th need comes to my door. And I've only been with them for like three hours, and I'm annoyed. <laughs> Carrie's like long gone. She's been there all day. It's like she, she, her patience quotient is far greater than mine. And, and mothers, thank you. Um, where am I? I'm totally lost. Hebrews 5.2. This is Jesus' heart. He, Jesus, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Let me read that again. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Boy, that describes us. And let me translate it for you. Jesus responds to people who do stupid stuff on accident. Ignorant is gentle love and care. Jesus' response to people who do really bad stuff on purpose is gentle love and care. It doesn't matter. He deals gently with you. When you make a mess, it excites his heart to clean it up. Do you believe that? It excites him to clean it up. It would be his joy. Understand. The head of the church loves to heal his own body. You are his body. How much do you love to heal your own body and fix it? How much more does Jesus love to heal his body? We have to think this way. This is the way that the Bible talks. This is the truth, not what we say. He's annoyed. He's rolling his eyes. Never, ever. If you're focused on yourself and your circumstances, you'll never feel that. You'll never feel safe. You'll never feel peace. Only when we look outside of ourselves to Christ. Let me just say, 
This is the free offer of the gospel. It's for everybody. I mean, whoever's hearing my voice, the offer is for you. It's free. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to say, well, give me a minute, okay? Let me just get in front of the mirror and let me clean up my life a little bit and then I'll come to Jesus. No, that is not the point. Come as you are right now to Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior, trusting and putting the weight of your life on him. It's free. You remember the passage in Isaiah, come, come. Without money, without price, come to the water and drink. That's the gospel. That's God's heart. He doesn't have you jump through. You don't have to fill out a resume. You don't have to jump through seven hoops to get hired in God's kingdom. Just come and look upon Jesus and his beauty and glory and majesty and let your heart be rended under that. Let your heart be melted by this person who died in your place for your sins. How do we respond? How do we respond? Psalmist responds to the rescue of God. Verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Two ways to respond to God's helpfulness I want to point out. Number one, be helpful. One way we should respond to God's help in our lives is to be helpful in the lives of other people. Um, Think about it. If you're able to count on God 100%, that he's always going to be there, he's always going to help you, He, he holds your life in his hands. I'm now free to focus on other people, to help them, because I know I'm good over here, so my life is good. Now I can step out of, oh, me, 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 all the time. I can step out of that into other people. What's going on in their life? How can I help them? That's how the gospel works. And it's simple. Just be helpful. Just be helpful. It's not dramatic. It's not flashy but it is love. Helpfulness is the fabric of love. Carrie and I think back to the early years of our marriage when, or, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have, maybe that was like a Freudian slip. The, the early years of our uh, parenting when we had kids that were really little and we were drowning. Maybe we were drowning a little bit the early years of marriage. Yeah, you know, we made it. But we were drowning and, and the most helpful things stick out where people came over and loved us by just like, hey, We're going to watch the kids um, and give you a break. Go take a shower. Take a nap. Whatever you want to do. Go eat. Sometimes you don't eat. It's like you're so busy. And that was so helpful. That was so loving. It was so tangible. I remember people, particularly for Carrie, saying, let's just go take a walk so you can have some adult conversation. That was really helpful. Uh, it was just tangible. It's simple in some ways. This is how we want to start to think. Like, what would be helpful tangibly? And it seems easy, but what gets in the way of being helpful? What gets in the way? Often frugality would be one thing that gets in the way. You won't spend the money to be helpful. So your wife keeps saying, like, hey, you know, the AC's broken. The AC's broken. It'd be really nice if we could fix it. Well... You know, do we really need that? Is it a necessity? 
Um, there are people in parts of the world who don't have that, and so can't we survive? And it's just not helpful. It's not really loving. Or your husband saying, hey, you know, we really need to get away, the two of us. We just need to get away sans kids for a weekend. Well, airline flights are so expensive, and that's going to cost a lot of money. We just got our savings built up, and it's not helpful. It's not loving. It's more about you and your principles than it is about loving someone else and being helpful in their life. And God's like teeing you up to be helpful. Eh, mm. Frugality can get in the way of being helpful. What else? Lack of availability. Not being available. I know everyone's busy, not necessarily bad to be busy, but creating a little margin in your life where, you're, where possible to be helpful is an incredible ministry. Some of the most helpful people in our community are the most available. I'm looking at some of them. Just helpful. Especially if you're in a season where you have more time, more energy, more money. You know, you have margin in your life. Being available to be helpful is so helpful. It really is. And if you're in a spinning down the rabbit hole season, which I know some of you are, it's crazy. Okay, just carving out a little bit. A little bit of margin where you can, where you're available to help someone. That is huge. Like, that's more meaningful because I guarantee you, they know you're busy. They know it's a sacrifice. And so for you to say, hey, let me come just do this. Or, hey, would you, do you want to go? Hey, and you initiate. And, like, they're like, how do they do that? They're so busy. That's Christ-like. That's showing them Jesus. And it shouldn't always be on our terms. You know, well, this time, on this day, and for this long, that works for me. Helpfulness sometimes should be a sacrifice. It should, like, be death to my plans. This is what I saw for my day. Oh, but there's a need here. I want to meet it. So I'm going to do that. And that's hard because I got my things. I got, I got stuff to do. That's the fabric of love, gospel love. It's death sometimes. Secondly, second way we respond to God's rescue. Lastly, being vocal. Be helpful and be vocal. Tell people about it. That's what the psalmist does. Maybe it's David, but he's talking about it. He's vocal. And that's important because in a fallen world, all of us naturally drift toward sin being ultimate. It's not natural to think God is ultimate. It's not natural to think grace is ultimate. It's natural to think sin is ultimate. The devil is ultimate. We get naturally discouraged and we need each other to be encouraged, to talk about the things that God has done in your life. Include God in your story. Talk about him. It encourages people. Don't be embarrassed. Don't feel like you're going all, you know, God talk on them like, oh, yeah, God. Don't worry about that. Just talk, just be yourself, be real. God help me through it. They'll know if you're real. Now, if you put on the, the, the cheesy Christian knees, you know, like, yeah, people see through that. But if you're real about it, that's so encouraging. 
and it's a witness. God was my help. God was my help. I need to hear it from you guys. You need to hear it. We need to hear it. That sin is not ultimate. Grace is. Pain is not ultimate. Joy is. Humanity is not ultimate. God is. For this light momentary affliction, God is storing up for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. Because we get discouraged, so we have to talk about it. And we go to the Psalms, and we hear it from the psalmist, and we have to say it to each other. Be vocal, please, for each other and for yourself. This is how we respond to God's help and rescue. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your presence in our lives, holding us every moment of every day in your tender care. Lord, we forget you. We lose track of ourselves and where we are, and our faith waxes and wanes, and yet you remain faithful even when we are faithless. And we say thank you. And we want to respond to that goodness and grace, Lord, with all of our hearts, all of our lives, everything in us. We want to obey you, trust you, follow you, come to you with confidence because you are able to deal gently with us who are ignorant and wayward. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.